and welcome to the Destinate NZ Show. I'm Michelle Caldwell and today we are taking you around the world. Yes, listeners, you heard me correctly. We are going around the world to talk with some of our best inbound operators about their international markets. So we've got a panel discussion today. Bear with us, five of us on the call made for a pretty busy chat but I'm sure that you'll enjoy this catch up and just get an update on what the international markets are saying, what the demand is looking like, and of course, what information we need to provide to the trade in order to help them do their jobs better. So listeners, you are going to hear a bit of a theme this week and next week. This is a two-part series. So we're pulling together six inbound operators from all different markets around the world so we can give you the most comprehensive update that we can. And one of the things that they're asking for is our rates. So if you're struggling to get this together in your business, please give me a call. I have a market representation program and I'm more than happy to help you because the more operators we have engaging with trade and providing rates out to 2024, the better we're going to be in a position to rebuild our tourism industry. So today our first three panelists are probably people you know quite well but that's good because we just wanted to get them onto the show and have a good chat with them. First up we have Anna Black from General Travel. We are also joined by Jeff Yee from GSN Pacific Tours and finally Scott Mertens from Leisure Time Group joins us as well. Now Anna as you know was the past president of the Tourism Export Council of New Zealand and Scott is currently the president of the Tourism Export Council of New Zealand. So they both bring a fantastic perspective on not only what's happening in their businesses, but what they're seeing throughout the country as well. So this is quite a long episode compared to what we've been doing recently. So I'm going to sit back and let you get right into it. But don't forget next Wednesday, we're inviting another three inbound operators to the show. So bookmark that, put a note in your diary, seven o'clock next Wednesday morning you'll hear part two of our around the world series but for now sit back and enjoy if you love it don't forget to leave us that five star review we really appreciate that obviously and tell your friends pass this round this is an episode that everybody in the industry should be listening to because this is important for us as we start to reconnect with the world and we need as much tourism product in the hands of our trade partners as possible so until next week everybody kakite so new zealand tourism operators let out a big sigh of relief when the self-isolation rules were dropped for international arrivals and none bigger than our inbound operators who have endured two years of zero international business. We're joined today by a few of them, and I can confirm that despite everything, they're still smiling and still standing. We welcome Jeff Yee from GSN Pacific Tours. Kia ora, Jeff, and thanks for joining us. We also have Anna Black from General Travel dialing in. Welcome back to the show, Anna. Kia ora, team. 
And last but not least, Scott Mertens from Leisure Time Travel. Kia ora to you, Scott. It's great to have you join us. Thank you for inviting me. Uh, pleasure to be here. Kia ora to you. Welcome. Scott, we'll start with you. Can you tell us a little about your ever-expanding business and, in particular, the main markets that you service? Yeah, sure. Well, our Leisure Time Group has a total of eight different travel and event management brands, but predominantly inbound wholesale pre-COVID and pre-COVID our key markets were Western Europe, Scandinavia, UK, USA, some in the Middle East and, and Australia. So yeah, those are our main markets. And um, we're fairly group focused as well at Travel Time, Leisure Time, because we also own a fleet of coaches here in New Zealand as well. So hence hence our focus on groups. But we do we also do FITs and we also have a set departure program under one of our brands as well. Hmm. Awesome. Nice. And Anna, General Travel does a lot of work in India, but what other markets are you active in? Yeah, well, pre-COVID, we used to say pretty much every market except the Australian market. So yeah, we are sort of bits and pieces all over the world, a fair amount in Southeast Asia, India, North America, and growing a bit in Europe at the moment. Hmm. Oh, Jeff, which markets do you mainly focus on at GSN Pacific? GSN Pacific is mostly out of, um, we're very strong out of Southeast Asia, some of the general travel, but we do all of Asia. And, and so we'll do it all the way from China. We don't do ADS China, we do delegation, business delegation from China. We do Indian FITs, but we do um, twin markets like Philippines, Indonesia as well. But our core markets will be Thailand, Malaysia. That's our bulk of our business. So looking at our list, and we do fringe markets as well. We get things like, we get a few groups out of Brazil, we get groups out of Turkey, we get fringe markets at Bristol as well. But looking at the list of markets we do, very few of them are visa-free. So for us, it's going to be mm, them. Yeah, well, I guess, Anna, for you, a lot of your markets are the visa waiver countries, and they'll be eligible to travel to New Zealand in the first border opening, which is currently sitting at July, but we're expecting that to be brought forward. Uh, what has the response been from your clients? To be honest, it's been a little mediocre. We are excited and they're, they're happy, but it, we're just really catching up with the rest of the world. So it's not been the effusive res- response we thought we would get, but they're just pleased that they can start finalising all those bookings that they've got in place now for 22, 23. They can start working with the airlines and, and getting all their people who have been moved from 2020 dates to 21 dates to 22 dates, they can actually start finalising those tours. So it's been positive for sure. I think if we had not had the response now, we would have really been looking foolish as a country to the rest of the world. Mm. Fair enough. Um, Scott, what about you? Have you already started seeing bookings? Where are they coming from? And when are people planning to come? Um, Well, I'm sure like a lot of inbound tour operators, we've been rolling bookings since 2020. And so a lot of bookings that we've had on the books for the 2020 one season and 21-22 season have just been getting rolled and rolled and rolled and so we do have a lot of business on our books going um, into the 22-23 season which is encouraging from pre-existing bookings but we also have had some new inquiries well continual inquiries throughout the lockdown and throughout the time the borders have been closed but they haven't been converting obviously because we haven't been encouraging necessarily people to finalise their bookings until we actually have an announcement because it's just wasting everyone's time, including mm. our suppliers. So we don't want to waste a whole lot of time from, from every party. But since the border announcement, we have had some more conversions come through, quite a few actually, which is great. 
But one of the common threads from a lot of our clients are they are getting the most amount of cut through on destinations with the fewest amount of restrictions. And so one of the concerns that we still have from our agent's point of view is the what happens if they have to still do a PCR or a rat test pre-departure or on arrival and then they test positive when they arrive here. Because if that's the case and they all of a sudden lose their holiday to MIQ centre, then they're not interested in booking. A number of destinations that are fully open are not worrying about any sort of pre or arrival testing anymore in Europe and other parts of the world. So those are the destinations that are giving the agents and their passengers more surety around making it. And so until we see um, a, a firm announcement around what the border reopening does actually look like, I think there's still going to be some hesitancy around bookings because of the requirements around testing and what happens if they test positive while they fly um, halfway around the world. Because let's face it, they could be negative when they leave London Heathrow. And two days later, when they touch down in, in Auckland and they've been in a, a tin can with 300 other people, they could be positive by the time they get here. And so it's a, it's a real concern for them. Yeah, that certainly is a concern. And Jeff, you mentioned Malaysia was one of the few countries that you work with that is in the visa waiver scheme. What demand have you seen from the non-visa waiver countries? Have they started to move yet or are they just still waiting to see what happens with our announcements? I really haven't really pushed the, the non-visa ones because it's so far away, but we yeah. have had new, and I've been very reluctant to sort of look at anything before October as well, because I'm very cautious, and the last thing you want to do is make people book and find out the rules have changed. But we've had a few groups that have postponed and rebooked in early 2023, which I'm mm-hmm. quite happy to do, because you know, as far as I'm concerned, early 20, March 2023 should be fine. But we have a joint venture in Thailand, which does our marketing up there. They've been in contact with me and saying, when can we start pushing for the, the quoting and stuff like that? And I said, well, October, it should be fine. And I'm just getting that up now. But don't forget that information of the non-isolation is being you. And I was, like I was saying to you before, a lot of us didn't really catch on because it wasn't really announced with great benefit from the government. It kind of slipped under the radar there and said, oh, by the way, everyone's on isolation now. So that's really just catching on now, and that was just last week. So I'll, this week, I'll definitely try being in contact with these agents and saying, look, it is definitely clear. There's uh, no isolation now. Uh, I'm more confident with those uh, visa, visa countries because, in fact, it is October and it's a little bit further away. With yeah. Malaysia being visa free, I'm a little bit cautious. July, does it change? I'm not sure, but I'm sort of going caution at the stage. And Anna, what are you seeing from your perspective? Yeah, we're starting to get inquiries back from India, which was one of our biggest markets pre-COVID. But the main concern I have that hasn't really started to be talked about yet is the visa processing, to be perfectly honest. And it it, it is still step by step. Cautious optimism last week with the announcement, but what's the next step? So with the majority of the offshore immigration offices closing for processing visas and even before that, New Zealand immigration trying to put everything online, there was very limited other language options, for example, and what they were rolling out and the nuances of the changes of immigration requirements and, and visitor requirements. So that's going to be the next thing that we're concerned about. And then flight access and pricing. We we know pricing overseas in some cases has doubled to what it was pre-COVID or tripled. So mm-hmm. that's a concern. And then, of course, the war in Ukraine. Who knows how this is mm-hmm. going to affect everyone, not only oil prices, mm-hmm. 
propensity to travel and mm. his attitude to everything. So, yeah, cautious optimism, trying to keep positive. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a bit of a challenge, isn't it? You think we're through the worst of COVID or we're coming through the worst of COVID at the moment. And then, of course, you have Putin doing what he's doing over there. And it just sort of adds another layer of complexity to it, doesn't it? Scott, what are you predicting the biggest challenges will be for your business with regards to the borders reopening? Well, one of our biggest issues will be frontline staff. At the moment, we have been fortunate to keep hold of a core number of our drivers and guides. But the reality is, is right now that I'm finding it hard to actually deliver a casual charter for a client. And I've got 15 coaches sitting outside my window, but no drivers available to drive them. And so it's, I think the driver and, and labor issue is going to be probably one of the things that's going to be hardest for us in our business, not just on the front line, but also in the office. We, we obviously, like everyone else in, in the tourism industry, had to downsize. And when we even when we have tried to rebuild some of the team, it's actually been more challenging than we've ever seen before. So that's, that's definitely a big issue in terms of if we get to operate. <laughs> so in the meantime, though, one of the biggest challenges will actually be making sure that our clients do keep New Zealand front of mind, that we haven't been able to engage with them face-to-face. Virtually is getting harder and harder because you know, there's a lot of changes on both sides of the equation, the buyer and the seller. Um, a lot of our clients have downsized as well. And so it's constantly trying to make sure that their staff are getting the training they need. And so and making sure that we are still front of mind as a destination. But it's also making sure that we keep engaged with the government in regards to the issues that our clients are facing. As mentioned just slightly earlier, is um, around the testing requirements either side of departure and arrivals that's a real concern and it is a demand killer just as much well not not just as much as self-isolation but it is a real concern for a lot of people that they don't Mm. want to jump on a plane and then find out they can't actually move once they get here because of a negative rack test so yes i think i don't think it's going to be easy i don't think i don't think just because the borders are reopened i don't think it's just going to be business as usual on day one there's definitely going to be some headwinds and even supplier issues we've got some supplier issues already as well so yeah it's not always going to be easy and anna you were going to say i was just going to say that staffing issue goes throughout the industry too obviously immediately at home it's getting ito experienced operators and and tour guides and, and drivers but our suppliers as well everyone's Every industry in New Zealand's fighting for staff at the moment, not just tourism. So our operators and our suppliers are short-staffed. And then what are we delivering as the New Zealand experience? As a five-star hotel, truly still offering a five-star experience because of either short staff or lack of experienced staff. And they're doing their best, but this is something that we've got to be mindful of moving forward in our product offering. And, And then just trying to get rates that's you know all of this is staffing issues we know it's mm. it's time mm. we need rates we have to have those rates if we don't have the rates we can't sell product and who's out there and who's in hibernation who's coming out of hibernation so yeah the the staffing thing has so many fingers that filter down through everything and and honestly being based here in australia that's a massive issue for australia and we michelle and i had a conversation on another podcast about this it's if Australia are experiencing equally this the lack of staff and being able to service and New Zealanders too, that's an enormous gap of staffing required this end of the world. It's it's a huge problem. 
because basically both countries are going to go head to head fighting for staff and and getting them over here. So it's for me personally, I think it's something that needs to be done jointly and really hammer into those working holiday visa people that it's a really great two year experience over here, a year in New Zealand, a year in Australia, however it works. And just whether it's a massive campaign to bring people to the Southern Hemisphere that would jointly to get those workers in because it's everyone's Mm. in that crisis. Yeah, 100%. Mm. So, Jeff, are you starting to recruit staff at the moment or is that something that's a little bit later down the line for you? We're in the process of now, especially since the announcement that the non-isolation. So definitely, just like Scott and then, I mean, we've obviously downsized as well, we've kept our manager and now we're just going to get the staff. But like I say, we, we understand, we're just going to sort of work it out that we're going to start up slowly. We're a little bit lucky that only one of our key markets is visa free at the start. So we've got that sort of at the start of July, start building up for October, where our key, both of our markets do kick in. And that will be for the summer. I, I really don't believe that the isolation period pre in July, I mean, that's our low season as well. So, you know, at the end of the day, it's not going to be huge ones anyway. So really just that's a period for us now to probably October, building staff, training staff, getting that system up and running again, finding new suppliers. I mean, quite a few coach companies have gone under. I mean, one of the mm. two we use, I mean, really travel hadn't gone under, but they stopped working in the tourism industry. Guthrie's, they've gone. Leopard's gone. Wow. So there's a few challenges there. Yeah. So moving away from the challenges, Scott, have you seen any changes to what is being requested or the types of experiences that travellers are looking for so far? I was in a uh, virtual trade show uh, a couple of nights ago, or this time last week, I think Anna was at the same one. And uh, that was the exact question that I asked just about every client, trying to find out exactly what they are going to be requiring because they have, they're actually uh, are up and up and running already over in Europe and, and the States. And, and so they're already sending people to other destinations at the moment. So that was a question that I asked every single client that I met with. And well, I found it quite uh, reassuring that many of them didn't really talk too much about COVID protocols. It was kind of nice and refreshing that they said, we've actually gone past that now in Europe and, and in the States. Yes, we needed all the protocols in place when we first started moving around because uh, COVID was a big thing. But with Omicron that sort of washed across the world and we're last, that, that's sort of going back to pre-COVID, just some sort of pre-COVID normality which was kind of nice to hear because they said so many of those pre-testing and arrival testing requirements and self-isolation should someone get sick on a holiday or all those things have sort of just gone now. It's obviously being mindful if you get sick while you're away to make sure you self-manage that situation, but there's no major amounts of heavy protocols put in place anymore. So that was kind of reassuring. The other thing that I liked hearing was that because there was not a huge amount of travel in 2020 and 2021, there was a lot of people that were looking forward to traveling again, a lot of savings, Mm. a lot of pent up demand, a lot of savings put behind people. And so those people that may have been going off for a short break for three or four nights in Europe are now looking at going further afield because they haven't done those three or four night trips three or four times in a year for the last two years. So now they can afford to go much further afield. And so Mm -hmm. uh, a lot of our agents who do focus on Australia and New Zealand were quite excited about the recent developments with our borders because 
they feel that their clientele will be looking for those bigger, bigger, longer itineraries. So that was kind of nice. And so the other thing that quite a few people did say was bucket list items. So the a, a destination like New Zealand and Australia are, are a bucket list destination, but also while they're in destination, they're looking for those bucket list experiences because they have got some money saved. So it's not just sort of arrive and, and travel around. It's actually about doing some of those real big ticket items when they're actually in destination. So I was really excited to hear some of that stuff. And like I say, the only thing that concerned me a little bit was the testing requirements. So if testing requirements are still in place, there will be it'll be a much harder sell okay. because a lot of destinations don't have any testing requirements anymore. So therefore mm. people are gravitating towards those because they consider those a, a safer bet to be able to travel to because they don't want to have their their holiday cancelled at the last minute. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. And Jeff, out of your markets, do you think we'll see any new itineraries being developed rather than just the the golden route that traditionally visitors have done? I'm not sure about the itineraries, but definitely the way of travel, I believe, will change. The markets, the Asian markets we mostly deal with out of are quite cautious travellers. I think they'll probably want to travel, say, in smaller family-type groups or, or couple of families in a private tour, as opposed to joining a coach tour of 40 people they don't know. There's also, I think the, the concept of COVID's changed. I mean, the fear of it's changed. I mean, I don't think people fear it as catching it and dying, but the fear of, can you imagine catching it on tour? What do you do? How do you self-isolate? There's a lot of issues with that. So I think that's a calculator sort of risk for them. So, but if you travel, say, two sets of family or 10 people in a private minivan coach, you know these people, and you know if you're cautious, you probably reduce your risk of catching COVID. That's probably where I'll, I'll see it going in our markets, smaller family-type private groups. Now, just like what Scott said, I think definitely the high-ticket items, and the reason why I say that is and it's changed. Normally, it used to be more of a budget thing, just lowest price wins type thing because the prices are going up the EFEs are going up fuel costs is going up coming all the way from there is not going to be cheap it's almost like the tourism dream of high value tourism but that is the way it's going and so definitely when they do pay the big bucks to come here on the big when you're paying so much on the EFEs you want to stay in the better combination you probably want to do your big ticket items so I think it's going to be low volume high value mm, okay interesting the minister will be happy yeah <laughs> their plan worked Um, So Anna, we've talked a lot about the influence that Kiwis spending two years travelling around their own backyards may have on international visitors. Are you seeing any evidence of this yet with new destinations or new products that are being requested or... Um, not a not a marked change as yet, but I think that's probably because the promotion and the communications machine is still kicking into gear now that we have some certainty. I mean, the social media stuff that's been going out from Tourism New Zealand and from domestic travel and people recommending to their family and friends overseas can't be underestimated. And there's going to be a lot of these off the beaten track items that people have seen and heard about and research that they want to visit. So I think there's going to be changes perhaps in FIT travel itineraries for sure. And I hope that we get that regional spread a little more. I think to start with, I mean, our group operators, whether it's small groups or big groups, they're not changing the itineraries too much unless we've had a product that we've had to change out because it's no longer operating. Back to the whole thing about small groups and large groups, I think that's going to be fascinating to watch because a year ago we were all talking about small groups and I think Jeff's right. We have a lot of cautious travellers who will be smaller groups and family groups. 
but most ITOs load a coach to 70 or 80% anyway. So there is still some spacing on a coach anyway. So you'll still have your group tour operators or series operators who are offering a more affordable price option and you'll have happy to take some risk travelers for budget versus, versus, you know, to save a few hundred dollars. So I think that's going to be a fascinating space to watch. But yeah, at the moment, not too many product changes, but we need to know about all the new product that's out there from all our operators and those who are trade ready. Yeah, that's a good point. So a lot of our listeners are tourism operators and they're starting to get ready to welcome back international visitors as you guys are as well. So Scott, what advice would you give them from a trade partner perspective? Uh, we need rates and we need good terms because despite what um, the general brushstrokes might be from some of the people that we've spoken to over the last few weeks, trade shows, a lot of our contracts that we're getting from our wholesalers are still very much talking about um flexibility around cancellations mm-hmm. because of um, a traveller getting COVID while they're travelling or that a government restrictions put in place and all of a sudden we can't travel either while they're in the country or before they get to the country. So there is that is still in the back of mo- a lot of people's minds as much as we want to try and pretend that the, the world's gone back to some sort of normality, the reality is that might be the case for a three or four day trip within Europe, probably not going to be the case for a three or four week trip for a person who's doing a self-drive itinerary around New Zealand or a, or a, a long tour around New Zealand as well. So there is that flexibility still required and rates. We know that there's been pressure on staffing and resourcing, and I know a lot of products have been rethinking their strategy around what they might look like when they reopen in terms of what they're offering, maybe smaller experiences or what what that might look like. But the reality is, is that like Anna was just saying, a lot of our clients are still running the exact same itineraries that they were running pre-COVID and the same suppliers that they were using pre-COVID back in 2020 and, and before, they want to be working with and therefore we need rates. And mm. so, and we know that that can be hard to predict your rate sometimes, especially if you're an operator that uses fuel. But it's one of those sort of situations we've always had to take a punt on. I know that I'm pricing group tours with my coaches for 2023 and beyond, and now I'm terrified because <laughs> fuel's gone up nearly 50% in nearly 60 days. Yeah. So you, you also have to think, hopefully that's short-lived, depending on what Mr. Putin comes up with. So how far out should operators be setting rates right now Anna what do you think 23 24 yep right now, right now we already know what 22 23 looks like and, and yep. some of our clients are now asking for 23 24 and so it's definitely 23 24 that we're looking for right now mm-hmm. and that's kind of not completely untypical because we are in March now and once upon yeah. a time wholesale rates were issued around trends trends is May so it's not that far away than what we're talking about now and so I don't think it's any different really so by May we should hopefully have 23 24 in our hands so but yeah we need to have those conversations around what those products might look like as well because you know there is talk of changing some of their products around. this thing that's been bantered around by minister of tourism around high value low um, volume doesn't necessarily translate to when you're on the ground people are still going to get to pay a certain amount of money to go to an attraction or an activity if you cap your numbers that doesn't mean they're going to pay twice the price we have to think really carefully about how people are going to respond to the borders being reopened and so 
I think that they, those are the sorts of things that we need to know about as well, because if there is some of that thinking going on here with our suppliers, most of our suppliers we're talking to all the time anyway, yeah. and so we, we've got an inkling. But some, some suppliers have been very hard to talk to because they have been in hibernation or they just aren't thinking about the international market. So, yeah, they need to start thinking about the international market and starting to re-engage with inbound tour operators for sure. Mm, absolutely. I was just going to answer a little bit on that previous question on, on challenges for the suppliers, because like you mentioned, there's quite a few suppliers listening to the podcast. And in addition to what Scott was saying about the rates, which is important, I, I think what's really important, in my opinion, too, is get your price up to international level because of staff that may, for example, like we gave an example before, you may have a five-star hotel, three to a reception, now you've got one, that type of thing. Okay for the domestic market, not okay for the international market. So for those suppliers out there, I think rates, 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 exactly what Scott said, um, but also in the sense that uh, get your product international ready because, you know, there's a high expectation with international customers paying the top dollars to come in. So that, that's another thing I just want to add to that previous, previous question. That's, that's a good point, Jeff, because, you know, Leisure Time has worked really, really hard in the domestic space in the last two years, and there is a there is a difference in what we're experiencing out the road. Some, sometimes it's actually been quite nice because we're the only tour operator in the, in the entire town, so everyone falls over themselves to be nice to us. But, but in, other, in other instances, it's actually been a little bit dreadful. You get to a hotel and they inform you when you get there that the restaurant's not open. And so we may not have booked for dinner, but there was an expectation that we're booked into a hotel with a restaurant that all of a sudden isn't open. And and in places like Queenstown, it's not really a big issue necessarily because you've got lots of options. But if you've mm. just arrived in, um, in Bacargill or in, in another town that doesn't have a lot of options that are close by, that can be a real problem all of a sudden. So it is 100% what Jeff was saying. It's about that service and it's about that expectation and it's about marrying the two together. And do you, do you think we're going to see operators maybe keep capping capacity? We've seen it in the domestic market, but do you think that's going to have to flow through into when we see international visitors that hotels limit the rooms and the availability to cope with the fact that they have these staffing issues and to actually be able to service in the way that they need to? I, I, I guess that's a really good question for the hotels. I couldn't, I mean, that's what has been happening. I know that that's been happening because with the domestic market, they say, sorry, we can't take you. And you ask, oh, you're full, that's excellent. I know no, we haven't got enough housemaids to change the sheets. So we're only open one wing. And so it's that, that has been a real problem over the last couple of years where hotels in particular have had to cap their numbers because it wasn't viable for them to bring on more staff. And so there is going to be a balancing act for that for a little while, I would think. And I would say that some hotels may even stay in hibernation for the first part of the new, of the new season, being the 22-23 season. If it's, you know, if it's soft in spring, then it doesn't make a lot of sense for them to reopen all of their wings or, at a, or an entire hotel altogether. So I think some of that will go on, I would think, because it has been really tough. It's been really tough for the suppliers and it's been really tough for everyone. So we don't have an English supply of cash reserves. So you can't just open just in case. Mm. And Anna? Can I I just come back and add to the comments about what ITOs need? Um, Mm. So... ITOs, I mean, definitely we need the rates and we need the products to be brought back up to spec, but we need information as well. So we, if if, um, our supply partners think about the fact that we deal with thousands of operators throughout the country, particularly if you do FIT as well as group, we need to know what's changed with your rates. So, I mean, not the, the rate number changes. We need to know what your product changes are, because otherwise our teams in the office are going to assume everything's the same Mm. as 
what if we haven't been told that you're now doing a small group cruise or your buffet lunch is now a packed lunch if we don't have that information we're going to sell assuming it's as was I mean, we will likely check, but that's going to be a lot of information coming into our product managers, I know. And sometimes suppliers are frustrated that they don't get cut through with product managers, but we need it. We need those fact sheets of what's operating, what's changed, what time your cruises, what time your tours go, what times you're open, whether your restaurant is closed on a Monday and a Tuesday in a hotel, but it's open Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. That's the vital information we need so that we can continue to sell your product offshore. Otherwise, just getting that out once to everyone and through something like uh, the tech checklist is, is really good. Then you're giving that information to all of us at once and we can do our job rather than individually us having to come back and ask, what's the story with breakfast? What's the story with porterage? What are you doing your night tour versus your day tour? All that sort of stuff. Yeah, that's a really good point. And it's probably worth operators summarizing that up front, isn't it? Rather than just sending you all the information, actually pulling out those differences and highlighting them and saying, just so you're aware, this is what's changed. And we had a chat very early on in 2020, obviously, when the pandemic first hit around some of the pricing that we were seeing from tourism operators, because they'd lost the international market. And it would be fair to say that there were a few operators that slashed their prices dramatically over that time. What are you expecting to see from their rates sheets when they come back into you from an international perspective? It's a really hard one because I sit on the fence as a human being where we have (laughs) 50% fuel price increases, we've had wage increases, we've had two years of little or no revenue we've had two years of businesses losing money and everyone needs to somehow survive however as an operator as an ITO dealing with my clients offshore they're expecting no more than a five to seven percent increase on the 2019 rates and that's a reality wow and it's hard because other countries throughout the world their governments are subsidizing tourism and drawing and throwing money to help their economies survive. And we are little old New Zealand. We are a premium destination, whether we like it or not, by virtue of we're at the bottom of the world. As Jeff said, the flights to get here are expensive. We can't think that an Auckland hotel can line up with a New York hotel anymore. We used to have this massive price difference and it wasn't right, but we can't think now all of a sudden we can have these price adjustments because we've had no tourists for two years. Our clients are all still the same. They know what the prices were. They know what they used to have increases and increments and that they know that there's been a worldwide disaster going on. So it's a hard one. I feel for everyone in this, but we have to be careful with our pricing. Otherwise New Zealand won't be as attractive. Yeah, we don't want to outprice ourselves out of the market completely, right? But yeah. also, on the flip side of that, we have to also be really careful that some of the cut price slash specials that were on offer to the domestic market stop because a lot of the wholesale um, prices that we get are actually more expensive than some of the blackboard sign specials um, that are floating around all the Facebook specials that have been floating around over the last couple of years. And we've lost domestic market bookings because uh, we give a client or an agent a quote for 
something happening in Queenstown or, or somewhere else, and they can actually just jump on Facebook and buy it cheaper through Facebook um, promotion. Mm-hmm. So we've got to be really careful of that as well, because especially with FIT, the FIT pricing is very transparent. And so if a client receives an itinerary from us with our FIT pricing and it's the, with the level of transparency we have through our portal and everything else, we're going to look really stupid really because the, unless you've got a really sophisticated website, which has got geographical awareness of who people are looking at from what part of the world, the, the, the special that you're offering the guy from Palmerston North is the same special you're offering the guy from New York City. So it's a, it's a very, you know, like Anna said, you know, we've all, it's all been about survival up, up until now, but now we also sort of have to readdress some of those uh, issues as well, that we can't be made to, made to make the trade industry look stupid. What, and what goes in with that, with pricing, of course, as well, is with my tech hat on, which will never come off, is distribution and commissions. I think suppliers need to work out if they want to work in the international space, because if you want to work in the international space, you need ITOs. One might bring you five clients, one might bring you 50 clients, one might bring you 500 clients. And that's the nature of the all the different markets and types of business as we all have but you need to protect those commissions for the ITOs locally and then a different level for the wholesalers offshore and a different level for the travel agents in the high street that has not changed Mm. And that's a really good plug for an episode we did a couple of weeks ago about working with the trade. So if anybody hasn't tuned into that one, go back and listen, um, because it has actually been picked up by TAA now, and they're going to be distributing that as part of the Trends Connect program to teach operators and give them all the info they need about working with trade. So thanks for that little plug there, Anna. Well, (laughs) we're, We're nearly about to wrap up, but before we go, are there any last thoughts from you, Jeff, that you want to share? with our listeners? I, I guess at the end of the day, the situation is, is it will be very competitive for New Zealand when we get back into the international market. One is because the price will increase and that's mostly because of the deal with FAS and the and long distance supply. And the other thing is that we're starting five to six months behind our biggest competitor, which is Australia. Yeah, And, and people don't realise that outside tourism, they say, oh yeah, this is that. But at the end of the day, a lot, lot of our customers anyway, they'll compare us or say, why do I come to New Zealand instead of Australia? You know, we could go to the Gold Coast or we could go to Perth or we could, you know, whatever. And for their, for their eyes anyway, obviously living down here, we find New Zealand Australia quite different. But for someone from Bangkok or say Mumbai, they think it's quite similar. Uh, it's like maybe us Kiwis think Canada and USA is very similar. So mm-hmm. and that's it. And we, we always have to be mindful that's our biggest competitor. That They're, they're going to be cheap on the FS, they're closer uh, like Anna said, there's a lot of incentives there for them to start up uh, with promoting. And the other thing is that they are opening about five to six months ahead of us. So that is the biggest challenge we face, I think. Nice. And Scott, anything from you? Yeah, I, I definitely echo those comments. I think there's a little bit of arrogance from up above, maybe now at government level, that once the borders reopen, everyone's going to flood here because we did such a great job with our COVID response. Those of us who are in the industry who understand how small our market share is compared to worldwide travel, we're not the ones doing them a favour. They're the ones doing us a favour to promote New Zealand to come here. And just because there is pent up demand doesn't mean they're going to choose us over Canada or Alaska. But the reality is it's the whole world is competing for those same people that have saved their money for the last two years. 
And so we um, have the highest airfare to get to. So therefore, we're already the most expensive to get a destination to get to. There isn't going to be the same degree of flight connectivity when we restart. So therefore, there's not going to be as much competition. So therefore, the airfares, even though they may be some really attractive restart specials, that will only be a few number of seats on every plane. So I, I think it's going to be pretty competitive out there when, when we do restart. And so sort of we've already covered off some of the expectations that Anna's talked about, something that we've, we've not had guests here for two years. Two years is five or six, maybe seven or eight percent increase in prices what we're paying from 2019-20. But, you know, some of our suppliers that we work with in Australia have actually decreased their prices. So it's going to be a real delicate balancing act to make sure we get it right when we do restart, for sure. And Anna, we'll leave the final words with you. <laughs> well, I'm a self-professed Pollyanna. I, I'm hopeful for the future. After two very weary years, I've got a bit more of an invigoration and, and excitement the last two weeks. But... My word to everyone is echoing Jeff and Scott's, we're going to be competing as a country offshore. We've all looked after each other in this industry the last two years. Let's just continue to look after each other. There's going to be competition internally, but let's not, not let's keep it nice. <laughs> um, you know, let's look after our guests and welcome, welcome our guests from overseas and, and look forward to opening up New Zealand again. Absolutely. Yeah, that's cool. I think we should vote you for Prime Minister, Anna. Yeah. No, it's, 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 it's exciting times again, you know. It is, yeah. you know, like while we're talking about, you know, real issues around business sides of things, it is an exciting time to get back out there and to, to wave our flag and do what we do mm. best and, and, yep. and look after people and deliver dream experiences. And that's what we're all about. We're not interested in stacking high, selling cheap. We're interested in delivering the dream. But, yep. you know, the, the reality is there is a commercial aspect of that as well. But it is an exciting time. And yay, finally, we're getting some, some, some positive lights at the end of the tunnel. Yes, it has been a very long two years. But look, I just want to say thank you to you three for joining us today, Jeff, Scott and Anna. It's been really great to catch up and just yeah. hear your perspectives on what the markets are saying overseas about our borders starting to reopen. And we're just waiting very patiently or maybe not so patiently for those dates to be confirmed. And we wish you all the best in kickstarting. We know it's been a really tough two years, but we really admire your resilience and your positivity that you've shown throughout this and obviously the passion for getting back underway and sharing your love of New Zealand with the rest of the world. So we wish you all the best and yeah. we'll keep in touch and maybe get you back on the show later in the year and see how things are going. Yep. And thanks for the great tips for all the operators out there. And I think rates, rates and more rates is and an update on where your products sit. That's a pretty much a wrap up from what we've learned today, I think. So thanks so much team for coming on. Thank you guys for having us. Thank you. Kakadee. 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 K